beautiful. Thank you. This is Shrek. Shrek lives on a farm in New Zealand. Shrek is a special kind of sheep that produces merino wool. A lovely, fine, soft wool and is very popular, commonly used in the outdoor clothing industry. And my guess is that many of you might be wearing something that's made of merino wool this very day. Scarfs, suits, socks, sweaters. Merino sheep, like Shrek, live most of their lives roaming the beautiful hills and green valleys of New Zealand. Once a year, they're all brought back to the farm and have their fluffy fleece of merino wool sheared from their body. And the average one-year fleece for a merino sheep it weighs about 10 pounds. And this shearing process can be a little scary, but it's essential for the health of the sheep to be sheared every year. Too much wool can lead to serious problems, overheating, lice, parasites, nasty things growing in your coat of wool. And too much wool and the sheep can't even bend over and nibble at the wonderful grass for the nutrition. Some groups denounce sheep shearing, claiming that it's too stressful. Sheep have feelings and it's too painful and too dangerous for the, for the sheep. When in, in fact, the exact opposite is true. Shearing each year prevents issues that can lead, uh, that can avoid prolonged death, and we just want to avoid the sheep carrying too much wool. So back to Shrek. When Shrek was just a little lamb, and his fleece was white as snow, when shearing season came around, Shrek just would not go. He did not return to the farm with the rest of his herd. He had disappeared, nowhere to be found. And after an extensive search, his owners thought, Shrek is dead. But Shrek wasn't dead. Shrek was just hiding. Shrek lived in caves and nooks and valleys, and year after year, living in sheer terror, his fleece grew and grew and grew. And as his fleece grew, Shrek's problems also grew. He couldn't walk, he couldn't graze, and again, his fleece became infected with all sorts of nasty things. Finally, after six years on the lamb, Shrek was found and brought home, but his, his owners barely recognized him. Shrek staggered back to the farm with six years of accumulated wool, weighing just over 60 pounds, enough wool to make about 20 men's suits. Surely, no sheep ever shorn in the history of shaggy sheep shearing ever showed up with as much fleece as Shrek's. Shrek's shearing was televised by national media, and his fleece was auctioned off, and the proceeds were donated to charity. What a nice sheep. Shrek met with the New Zealand's Prime Minister, and he appeared at celebrity events, and even a couple of children's books were written about him. Shrek died in 2011 at the ripe and happy old age of 16. But to this day, he remains probably the most famous of all sheep ever to live in New Zealand. Shrek's story is a lovely metaphor for our lives. 
the one and only person on earth that could help Shrek shed all the excess weight and unnecessary baggage was his shearer. The very person he was so afraid of, the very person who could help him, is the one that he hid from. Elder Holland says it best in a 2020 devotional for young adults. One of the grand ironies of the gospel is that the very source of help and safety being offered to us and the thing is the thing which we may, in our mortal short-sightedness, flee. Too often, we run from the very things that save us and soothe us. Elder Holland mentions, I've seen investigators run from baptism. I've seen elders run from mission calls. I've seen sweethearts running from marriage. And he's seen members running from challenging church callings and even running from their membership. Again, too often we run from the very things that will save us and that will soothe us. Jesus is not only our good shepherd, he is a really good shearer. He is our source of help and healing, and the more we connect with Jesus Christ, the sooner we will be cleansed and shaved and saved by his redeeming love. So the moral to Shrek's story, don't run from the one who will save us and soothe us. Now, Shrek's story should sound very much like another well-known hide-and-seek story. After the creation of the earth, God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They lived in blissful state of innocence and remained in the presence of God. And at some point in this narrative, Mother Eve, recognizing that as long as they stayed and remained in this state, there would be no family, no mortality, no opposition, and no spiritual growth all essential to become like Heavenly Father and returning to our Heavenly Parents. So, what does she do? Eve exercises her agency, makes a choice, partakes of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which triggers the process that would bring about God's plan of salvation for all of his children. Many refer to this as the fortunate fall, mankind's first disconnect with heaven. In this fallen condition, Adam and Eve became aware of their nakedness, they became aware of their transgressions, and they knew they were completely exposed and vulnerable. Emotions like shame and guilt entered their hearts, and they became, began to feel afraid to face their Heavenly Father. And like our friend Shrek, Adam and Eve went into hiding. The next scene we have Heavenly Father, a loving parent seeking after his children. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And Moses, of course, gives us, Where goest thou? And I just love this verse. Here we have the creator of the heaven, heavens and the earth, who knows all things from the beginning to the end, asking Adam, where art thou? And let me fill you in on a little secret here. God knows exactly where Adam is. It's Adam who doesn't know where Adam is. 
He's inviting Adam to figure out where he is and who he is and which direction he's facing and what he is becoming. He's basically saying, Adam, I know where you are. I know what's happened. I know you used your agency to separate yourself from my presence. Will you now use that same agency to come out of hiding and return to me? Which direction are you facing, Adam? Such a powerful reminder of the constant need for each one of us to take a look at our relationship with our Father in Heaven. If you feel close to God, count your blessings. If not, ask yourself, what's changed? Who has moved? Again, Elder Holland says it best. I ask you to come unto the Savior, Jesus Christ, as the imperative first step in getting, your personal getting to your personal destination, in finding your individual happiness and strength, and in achieving your ultimate destiny and success. All of this can be yours if the answer to the question, Adam, Eve, Jordan, Brenda, where goest thou? And if our answer is, wherever you are, Lord. Another truth that I don't want to miss out on this Adam and Eve hide-and-seek story is that God is always, always aware, always searching, constantly seeking his children, especially when they're hiding or when they're lost. Adam and Eve believe that Heavenly Father is angry with them and disappointed and will punish them and reject them for their choices when the exact opposite is true. God seeks out Adam to assure them of his love. And as evidence of that love, what does he do? He introduces them to a series of ordinances that will help them return to his president. He sends messengers to guide them along the covenant path to provide protection. He gives them holy garments to help resist future temptations of mortality. But best of all, he introduces Adam and Eve to their Redeemer and Savior, even Jesus Christ. If Adam and Eve choose to follow this Savior, they are assured, as we are assured, that we will return indeed back to the presence of God after our mortal journey is through. Does that sound to you like a vindictive, angry, displeased, upset God to you? It's really our choice, brothers and sisters. Remain in fear and hiding, or make and keep sacred covenants and connect with our Savior and Redeemer. Can I just share one more principle from this story that I think is, is beautiful? And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he, Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Why were they hiding? I was afraid. I was naked. Where does this come from? One moment, Adams and Eve are enjoying a deeply intimate relationship, constant companionship with their father in the garden. Then comes the transgression, and now they hide. They move away. They distance themselves. Why? Because they were afraid of how God will react 
to their transgression. Yes, Adam and Eve were warned of the consequences that would come as a result of the transgression, but nowhere does it say that God would be angry with them and that they were no longer worthy of his love. Think about this for a second. Why would any of us, children of a living, forgiving, perfectly patient, loving Father in heaven, ever feel the need to hide from his presence? even when we've made terrible mistakes. Somehow this seed of shame or guilt was sown into their hearts and they started thinking, Father is so angry with us that he no longer loves us. Someone planted this thought with Adam and Eve that because they were naked, they needed to distance themselves from God. Someone got them to believe that because of transgression, they were no longer worthy to stand in God's presence and that they should be ashamed of their condition and their choices. And it's Eve, once again, glorious Mother Eve, who tells us who that someone is. The serpent beguiled me. In other words, the serpent deceived me. The serpent misled me. The serpent tricked me. And that someone... That serpent was and is Satan. This, the misleading, evil, hurtful, harmful, deceiving thought that he planted into the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve, that when they made a mistake, that they are now a mistake and no longer worthy of God's love, is, in my personal opinion, one of the most insidious, damaging lies in the history of mankind. And unfortunately, it's, withstood, it's a lie that has withstood the test of time because some of us are still buying into it today. So let me be clear. When we make a choice that's contrary to God's laws, we will experience consequences. We are going to feel an emotion that we call guilt. And guilt tells us that we need to recognize that we made a mistake and that we will own up to that choice and do whatever it takes to right the wrong and move onward and upward and hopefully learn from our mistakes. But we cannot buy into the lie that whenever we make a mistake that we are unlovable or flawed. That is shame. When we tell ourselves that our behavior is bad, so I must be bad. That's shame. Guilt motivates and propels us to change and learn from our mistakes and grow and progress. Shame, on the other hand, drives us deeper and deeper into a feeling of helplessness to the point where we just want to give up. Shame sends us into hiding from God, from those that we love, from those who can help us. Shame tells us to run, blame, hide, there's no hope, I'm broken, I'm beyond repair, so why even try? Guilt helps us turn our face towards God, engage in the glorious process of repentance, and seek our ultimate source of redemption, even Jesus Christ. Remember, Adam, where goest thou? Which direction are you facing? So I'm not a perfect parent. I like to think I'm perfect, and, but it's just I'm not. 
And I love, as much as I love my children, I can unknowingly perpetuate Satan's lie when I communicate with my kids when they make a mistake. When they steal a candy bar from Smith's, or when they swear at the official during a church basketball game, or when they etch their name with a screwdriver on our neighbor's brand new minivan, I find myself in the heat of emotion saying, why did you do this? You are, you're a knucklehead. Why can't, don't you do anything right? And when I focus on you, 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 what am I communicating? My focus is not about the choice, guilt. My focus is about them as a person, which is shame. So if I could do it all over again, I would follow the pattern that Father provided to Adam and Eve, and I would try a different approach, more supportive report, approach. I would say something like, without mentioning any of my kids' names, Jordan, can we talk about you punching uh, the other player in the face during last night's hockey game. You are a really an amazing young man, but let's talk about this decision. What do you say we role play some responses when you're fe having fe feelings of anger during the heat of the hockey game, rather than say, you're such a knucklehead. Why did you do this? As parents, future parents, youth leaders, educators, when we focus on the person and not the behavior, we can unknowingly foster feelings of shame. Now, this is the great part. If you really want to know how God responds when we hide or are lost or make mistakes and are found, check out Luke 15. Here the Lord makes it absolutely clear how he feels about us when we are found. We find Jesus spending time with the broken, the outcast, the unlovable souls in Jerusalem. The religious leaders at the time, puffed up in their hypocrisy and self-righteousness, passed judgment and murmur, saying, this man, Jesus, received sinners and eatest with them. The scribes and Pharisees would never be found with such people. They were simply not worthy of their love and attention. So, what does Jesus do? He gives three parables. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son. We know from each parable that each thing that was, vent was lost was eventually found. But do you remember the response and emotion and reaction of those involved in finding the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son? When the shepherd finds his lost sheep, he, quote, layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. When the woman finds her lost coin, she calls her friends, her book club, her Relief Society sisters, and gets them together and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. And, after, and when after many painful years of hiding, the prodigal son is seen walking back up the path towards his family home. And when his father saw him, he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In each of these examples, the response 
to the thing being found is joy, rejoicing, celebration, compassion, and love. And that's exactly how our Father in Heaven feels about us when we show up in any condition of our lives. I'm reminded just this last week, some of you aren't old enough to remember, but it was 20 years ago Sunday or yesterday when the entire nation wept and rejoiced as 15-year-old Elizabeth Smart was found kidnapped for and forced into hiding for many months, suffering unspeakable evil and horror, Elizabeth returned to her family. Our family didn't even know the Smart family, but there we were praying for Elizabeth's return every night. And when she was returned to her home, we were weeping with joy when we heard the news. That's just another glimmer and glimpse of how heavenly parents feel when each child in any condition, returns home. So my dear friends, students of Ensign College, I hope you know how much you are loved. We love you, however you show up. In your faith journey, when you feel a little lost, when you feel like you want to hide or apprehensive to show up, may I just assure you and testify that Jesus is and will always be at your side. He is at your side when you pray, when you are taking that final next week, when you attend the temple. He is with you in your classes. He's with you on your snowboard or on your skateboard. He is with you when your heart breaks, when your friends are flakes, when you can't buy a date, when your spirit aches. He awaits. The time has come to stop hiding. No more playing hide-and-seek when your personal salvation is at stake. Like Shrek, come out of your caves and your hiding places. Show up for the shearing season. Cast aside the burden that weighs you down. It's time to get up, get to the plate, knock it out of the park. It's time to declare to the Savior, here am I, send me, put me into the game. Like President Nelson said, let your Heavenly Father know that you want to help. Ask Him to put you to work in this glorious cause. And then stand back and marvel at what happens when you let God prevail in your life. Give your bishops a heart attack this week when you walk into their office and shake their hand firmly and look into his eyes and says, Bishop, I need a calling. Put me to work. Send your parents into shock when you call them up and say, Mom, Dad, I'm active in the gospel, but I want to offer more. I want my heart, my soul, my mind to be consecrated to this greatest and glorious of all causes. So, in conclusion, with St. Patrick's Day next week, let's conclude with a little limerick. There once was a sheep named Shrek. The shearer he avoided like heck. Not knowing a good shave, his health it would save and would lighten his load on life's trek. Like Shrek, we oft share the same fear. Run and hide when the healer is near. Let us seek out his face and his open embrace and redemption 
eternal and dear. Five weeks ago, an apostle of the Lord, Elder David Bednar, spoke to you, I think it was from this pulpit or someplace, but do you remember what he said right at the beginning of his remarks? As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you don't want to change, do you remember what he said? Go find another church. And he wasn't being silly or sarcastic because he, he went on to testify that that's what this life is all about, is change and growth. I'm so glad as I, I'm almost 100 years old and I can still grow and improve because that's what the gospel demands of us. And I bear testimony with Elder Holland, and I conclude with this. However late you may think you are, however many chances you think you've missed, however many mistakes you feel you've made or talents you think you don't have, or however far from home or, and family and God you feel you've traveled, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement. I bear this testimony to you with all my heart that the Lord lives, that he loves us, and that he wants us to return home. I testify that the plan of redemption is real for you and for me. And I leave this testimony with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.